Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's great having you guys here uh, at church this morning. You guys are truly the A-team. While people go off in spring break, you guys are here. While people sleep in one more hour because they deny the time change, you are here. I'm so proud of you. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, this, for me, is one of the most important uh, lessons in life that we're going to talk about today. And so we chose a very good Sunday to do it when everyone is here. Um, it really is, this for me is like the key to, to good living is the message this morning. We're in a series called Soul Detox where we're, we're talking about the fact that there's some people who seasonally they will have a cleansing of the body, uh, releasing all the toxins in them that are holding them back from full health and full life. And many of us, we are in need of a soul detox. We are in need to look at the toxins that we carry within our hearts and our souls that might be holding us back. And this morning, we're talking about the toxin of ingratitude and how that is so incredibly dangerous. So let's go ahead and jump in our scripture in verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. So for all stories, context is really, really important. And for this story, it's happening here as Jesus was on his way and he's walking along the border line between Samaria and Galilee, which is a pretty desolate place. And there's certain places in our world where we feel an invisible line. And for them, the border between Samaria and Galilee was a powerful, invisible line. Because Samaritans and people who lived in Galilee, they hated one another. They absolutely despised one another. And here we find Jesus in the midst of that tension. He's walking in the place that embodies the divide that happens between people, divide that happens in this case around ethnic and racial lines, around religious lines even. And we find Jesus shows up in those places. And as he was going into a village, so he's outside the village, he's about to go into it, 10 men who had leprosy, met him. For us, leprosy is, is something that we really uh, don't talk about that often in our culture. Other diseases we might think of, we talk through, but leprosy is not one of them. Uh, leprosy, though, was a very prevalent thing in Jesus' day. Uh, and so for us, we might, when we think about leprosy, we 
think of it as a skin disease, but there's a couple other things that are to be known about leprosy. Leprosy is also, it has a long incubation period. And so when someone has leprosy, it's not really obvious they have it. It can happen, it can be underneath the surface from four months to several years. Someone could have leprosy and not even know it. And uh, that's one thing about leprosy we don't know. Another thing is highly contagious, which makes it dangerous that there's such a long incubation period. Like it's highly contagious. It's something that uh, people with leprosy were a threat to other people around them. And then lastly, we think of leprosy as a skin disease, but it actually attacks the nervous system. It actually attacks uh, our ability to feel. So people with leprosy, they might not be able to feel their hands or their feet, different parts of their body, and that's the real danger. Because for us to feel pain is actually a really helpful thing. When you can't feel pain, you don't know when to pull away your hand when something is cutting or hurting you. And so that was the real danger of leprosy. Not only that they looked bad and that they're highly contagious, but they would end up losing parts of their body because they couldn't feel. So you could see how this is a real threat. This is a real danger, not only to vanity, but also it's a real threat to community. And so what God had the people of Israel do is they had them send people who had leprosy out of the community. So listen to this. This was uh, written in Leviticus 13. Uh, If leprosy was not taken care of, it would cripple communities. So the Old Testament gave instruction on what to do with someone with leprosy. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean unclean as long as he has the infection. He remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. That sounds like a true curse, right? Think about the leper's life, that they had this visible manifestation of their own disease, but they're also called by society to be marked by being unclean. Unkempt hair, bandages, clothing that made them look like that, And then for them to live having to declare, I am unclean to anyone who is around them. And so Jesus, he was walking along this border and finds these group of ten lepers. And they were a mixture of Samaritans and Jews. And even though they detested one another, because that they were struck with the same affliction, they actually found a sense of community in that. And isn't that funny, when you have a common need with one another, you actually uh, you draw together regardless of divisions. That's why in World War II, you would talk about people from America who had racial lines and prejudice within American society, but when they were on the front lines, you didn't really care about the color of someone's skin you were fighting with, right? You were, you were in battle together. It's because of their common need. So for these leopards, as soon as they walked into leprosy, the, the barrier between their nationality and their racial background started to slowly dissolve. Which, by the way, should be the same thing with the church. That we should be like known as people. We have a greater need that we share in common. And so the lines and barriers that our society or our culture might try to draw between us, we go, you know, there's something greater than our nationality. There's something greater between our, us and our gender and other lines that we try to draw, we actually gather together because we have a huge need of the gospel. 
that we, we are gathering together out of need, we're going to form a different type of community. <clears throat> That's how the church should be experienced. <clears throat> and so um, for them, they have this community. And in verse 12 and 13, these 10 men who had leprosy, they met Jesus and they did what they were supposed to do. They stood at a distance and yelled. They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They were at a distance like they were instructed to. And notice that they didn't ask for healing. They asked for pity. They asked for mercy. That's so interesting to me. In verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, Jesus was masterful at healing and cleansing people in all different ways. We find for some people, he would touch them. For some people, he would just say it over them. There's one instance where Jesus even like spat in mud and put it on someone's eyes and they were healed. Very bizarre. And in this way, Jesus told them something really unique. All right, so he didn't even say he's going to heal them. And he said, go and show yourself to the priest. Why in the world would Jesus instruct them to do that? Is he like, um, like offloading, offloading this healing work? Is he like subcontracting it out to the priest or something? Might there be something more? The priests were the only ones in, in that day and age that could deem someone cleansed, which is a really harsh thing. Because if someone had leprosy, if someone was unclean, the one place they knew they didn't belong was the temple. The one place they knew they were cast out was from that holy place. And so Jesus looks at them and says, you want pity? Go and show yourself to the priest. I just imagine for those ten lepers, they were like, what? I don't know if we heard you right. You know, like, did he say that? Did he just for us to go to the priest? Now, let's slow down this story and imagine this. These ten lepers walking along the road, bickering about, why would Jesus say that? What was that about? One of them maybe piping up and saying, do you know how disgraceful that would be for us to show up with leprosy? Why would Jesus say that? Another one, like a Samaritan, would be like, I'm not even really allowed in the temple. That's not really my temple. And for them, as they were walking along, perhaps someone started walking towards them along the way. They would all shout, unclean, unclean, and step off the road, let them pass by. And what we find here <clears throat> In verse 14, it says simply, as they went, they were cleansed. The tense of this verb says it like this. As they went, in a single moment, they were all cleansed. It didn't happen in a progression. It happened all in a strike of a moment. These ten lepers walking along the way. And then one turns to the other and says, Phil, your nose. And then they start looking around each other, stripping away their bandages, looking around, and they were clean. Imagine them doing chest bumps, high fives, like all ten of them just freaking out. They could feel again. Think about that. They could feel again. Their feet on the road, the embrace of one another. And such a joyous moment. For nine of them, that's where their story ends, is experiencing grace on the road, 
For nine of them, we don't know the rest of their story. Maybe they went on to the temple. Maybe they rushed home to see family they haven't seen in years. Maybe they just went on about their life, picked up where they left off. But for one of them, they were marked by something else. One of them had something else going on inside of them. And that thing inside of them was gratitude. It was gratitude to Jesus. And for him, his story continues. One of them in verse 15, one of them, when he, saw Jesus, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. This time, he didn't keep his distance, right? This time, he fell at Jesus' feet. He worshiped Jesus. He was moved by gratitude. I wonder if this was the first person this Samaritan touched in years. The first person without leprosy that the Samaritan touched, it was the very feet of Jesus. We saw earlier that the Samaritan, like the other men, declared their great need to God in a loud voice, which comes often like familiar to us. We're very good at claiming God, God, we really need you to show up. God, I really need this from you. But we see the Samaritan, he uses that loud voice and gives God praise and thanksgiving. He declared gratitude. And Jesus said, verse 17, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to, to give praise to God except this foreigner? What I love about this is that Jesus had hoped to see the other nine. Not because he was some insecure miracle worker who needed just needed some approval. I think he longed to see the nine because he actually likes to hear words of gratitude. He wanted to celebrate with them. Take this in for a second. That God longs to hear your words of gratitude. That God is moved by your words of thanksgiving. We think of God as some distant, unaffected being. What if God longs to hear you say simple words like, thank you? That it actually moves God's heart. It actually delights him to hear your words of thanksgiving. That like when we actually gather here in worship, this is something that moves the heart of God. I mean, this kind of, it's weird that we gather in a dark room and we sing songs together. Have you ever thought about that? That's just weird. It makes no sense other than the fact that God is moved by your worship. We gather and worship. Why? Because we have stories of thanksgiving that we need to share with God. Not only for our own soul's sake, but also for God's delight that God might look down in a middle school auditorium in Austin, Texas, hear your words singing praise to a good, good father, and for God to go, yes, thank you for thanking me. This is why we worship. And we see this in Jesus, that Jesus was moved by gratitude. It It moved him. And the only one that did it was this foreigner. As Jesus looked at this foreigner, was there no one else but him? 
This almost reads like a parable, like a well-crafted story that the one person who would be the least likely to return to a Jewish rabbi to give thanksgiving was a Samaritan. But that's the way of God's story. And what we can take from that is this. It does not matter to God what your race, your ethnicity might be. It doesn't matter where you came from, what your socioeconomic background might be. What matters to God is your gratitude. That's the thing that moves him. The fact that you are an object of God's mercy and grace and healing, and that you might return and give him thanksgiving. This is what marked this man. It's what moved him. Do you notice in this story that there are actually two different miracles? The first one is a little bit more obvious, so the second one's a little smaller. <clears throat> Ten people experienced the smaller one, but it was just the opening act for something greater. Verse 19, Jesus said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Made you well. Is he just speaking about the skin? No. Another translation for that term, to be made well, it might be better translated, rise, for your faith has made you whole. You're now a whole person. Earlier, the skin was made clean, but you weren't made whole. There's a miracle of the soul and the heart that has happened now. And it all happened because of gratitude. Gratitude unlocked something within the heart of Jesus that affected him. And nine of them missed it. The leper went from being called unclean. He went from being kicked out of community, from being like not only struck by a disease, but also told by society of how to look to be marked. He was deemed that, and then in one moment, he was in the presence of God, grasping onto his very maker's feet, thanking him. Think about that movement from being unclean leper in the desolate part of this community to grabbing on to God and thanking him and for Jesus to lift him up and say, you are no longer unclean. You have great faith. You are made whole. The lack of gratitude experienced by the nine made them miss out on that. Our gratitude should lead us back to the feet of Jesus where Jesus might look at us, lift us up, healing our hearts and our souls. We have to take such care of our hearts and our gratitude because our gratitude matters. This past week, I was thinking about the issue of ingratitude and leprosy. And I, I don't think I'm probably reaching too far to think that there might be a greater connection between these two things. Again, think about this. Leprosy maybe ingratitude as well, has a long incubation period. It takes a long time for ingratitude to take root in our hearts and our lives. Slowly and surely, expectations start taking root in our minds that we deserve more out of this life. And gratitude starts being pushed aside. In that incubation period, 
it starts to become full force when we actually have a great sense of entitlement in this world. And secondly, it's contagious. Have you noticed that being around someone of gratitude rubs off on you? The same thing happens for ingratitude. It is really contagious. When you're around people whose gratitude is shirked and pushed aside because of comparison, you start wondering, that's true. I didn't think about that. And all of a sudden, you start living slowly and surely with greater ingratitude. This is why this common experience, uh, this experience is so very common, where people go to a third world country and have some sort of mission experience, and what do they experience there? I never, never realized how much I had that I take for granted, right? That's a common statement. But there's also a very common statement that comes after that. And how little they have with how much joy and gratitude they live with. There have been so many times where people have gone to a third world country, myself included, where I am jealous of their joy, although they have such little in comparison to our life. It's contagious. It's something that we long for. But this is the problem with ingratitude. Even worse, our gratitude is numbing. Remember the real problem problem of leprosy is you start losing sensation It actually attacks your nervous system. Ingratitude numbs our hearts and our souls. All the many gifts that we take for granted, all the many delights that we could have if we were just awake to it, if we could just remember, but we grow numb. We live in this endless river from God of gifts and grace that all of life is a gift from God. And somehow, we grow numb to it. It's slippery. Somehow, we forget. For some of us, it takes a near-death experience for us to wake up. So, for example, uh, what if, let's just have a thought experiment. What if uh, the stars uh, never came out? We look up at the sky, and no stars or moon came out all but one night a year. All right, one night a year, the heavens ripped open, millions of stars light up the sky, the moon is there. What do you think would happen in our day and age? I think that most of our cities would be vacant. People would drive out into the country, they would lay out on the top of their car, they would lay out blankets, whole families, kids would be kept awake, Because why? We get to see the stars tonight. And how many of us, years might go by without us really taking in the beauty of the heavens, really laying in and just soaking in this beauty, its glory, its mystery. Why don't we do it? Because they're always there, (laughs) right? They're just always there. We always could look at it. So it might be with many of the gifts from God that could, should lead us towards gratitude, wonder, and delight. It's numbing because they're so evident. They're so constant. It's like we would need God to pull back his goodness just so that we would remember. But God's too good for that. If I were to ask you this question, I was asked this question years ago and I answered it wrongly. Not that there's one right answer. Uh, 
I was asked this question about uh, 11 years ago. What is the one characteristic Christians should be known for? What is the one characteristic Christians should be known for? Um, I thought, well, maybe compassion, maybe truth, maybe holiness, maybe justice, boldness. What about love? Love seems to always be the right answer. And this person said, what about gratitude? What if that's the, like the, the most prominent marker in our life? Gratitude. Well, gratitude's not enough, I would think. This shouldn't be something more. What if this? If there's anyone in the world who should have a worldview of undeserved, limitless kindness from God, shouldn't it be the Christian who knows that God initiates all good things in this world, that all of life is a gift from the very heart of God, that all, in, all of life is an undeserved gift in spite of our failures, in spite of our ability to distort this world, shouldn't we be known as grateful? Well, no, no, no. Gratitude, gratitude should be secondary, and maybe boldness and like service should be first. Well, m- what might happen if we put that first? Well, all of a sudden, our acts of service would be out of a sense of duty, right? Our desire to go and change the world would be out of a sense of righteousness. But what if all of that was fueled out of gratitude? What if when we really come to embrace the goodness of the gospel, that we, it's just natural for us to go and to serve. Why? Because God has been so good. It only, it's only makes sense for us to extend justice in this world because we are so grateful for a God who's just, who makes things right. Gratitude goes before our Christian life because all of it is a response to God. Every single bit of it. And so if we lived this life without a sense of gratitude, it'd be a real problem. Paul said it in Romans 1 like this. Hear this word of warning. For although they knew God, so it's not just enough to know God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. So they knew of God, but they didn't reflect God, nor did they give thanksgiving. And notice the result of it. This should be a huge warning for us. Their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Why is gratitude so important? Because if you live with ingratitude, it will distort your thinking, and your heart will become dark. We might think it's enough to know about God, but we have to live reflecting who God is and living in gratitude. Gratitude keeps us awake. It cleanses us. It helps us be made whole. So for us, we want to not only point out the problem during the season of detox, soul detox, but we also want to help give life to one another. So here are just a couple of things. I want to just extend a couple ideas that if you go, man, I really want to wake up to gratitude, here are a couple of activities or practices that you might want to consider. First is try praying prayers of thanksgiving where you don't allow yourself to pray any request from God. All you do is just give God thanksgiving. Set a timer, five minutes, go into your closet, start it, and see what might happen if you could pray a five-minute prayer of thanksgiving. Might your heart and your mind start to expand. Secondly, make a gratitude log. So as you go throughout the day, maybe pin down, write the things that you are, that strike you today. What are the things to be thankful for? 
And then at the, at the end of your day, look back at that gratitude list and just thank God for those simple things. My guess is it might continue to expand more and more. Thirdly, remember your story. Our forgetfulness holds us back from gratitude. Because we forget what God has done in our life. Think back into your life story as scenes. Think back to like when you hit rock bottom and you thought there was maybe no way out, how God showed up. Think back to critical moments in your life story, how you thought you were gonna take a left-hand turn and God showed you another way. Think back to people that God placed in your life. My guess is, as you remember your story, you will be provoked to thank God with it. And fourthly, be around a new believer or a renewed person. There's something that's so good to be around people for which the idea of forgiveness is not an idea. You know, like for some people, forgiveness is the greatest reality in their life. Like it's not just a cliche. There's some of us that should go to an AA meeting this week. I mean, some of us might need to go to AA meeting, period. But when I've, I've been to an AA meet, meeting with a friend of mine who was starting to go there, and I was struck by gratitude just by the fact that these people are piecing their life together again, and they had such thanksgiving. For me, when I went to this AA meeting in this really weird building over off of B Caves Road, and I sat there with it, I was... I was just struck by how sacred this space felt, this confession and thanksgiving that people experienced. And so be around someone for which the idea of forgiveness and grace is the biggest reality of their life. My guess is this would move you to thanksgiving. Today you might feel like a leper. Perhaps you've grown numb to life and the gifts of God. Perhaps you come here and you've grown accustomed to being called unclean and you've embraced that title. Perhaps you received some sort of healing from Jesus along the road and you kept walking along your way, never going back to him. This is the gospel of Jesus, that he's not done with you. Jesus wants you to come near again, to fall at his feet, to thank him. Jesus wants this because he loves you he wants to hear from you, and he wants to lift you up again so that you could be made whole. 